Please turn with me to the book of Galatians. We're going to continue with our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> we're going to look at verse 22. And then we're going to jump to Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Galatians 5, 22. And then Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. The title of the message is The Fruit of the Spirit, Patience. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Paul is writing, the same writer who wrote in Galatians, who wrote to the church of Galatians, entitled the book Galatians. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Lord, help as we study your word today. Three things in this passage about which I'd like to speak if you put these two together. One, that with which we need to be filled how to make forward progress, and then how that forward progress is intended to fortify us. Paul is writing about the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit are the, are the manifestations of the Spirit of God with respect to what the character of God looks like in a believer's life. They are not things that can be manufactured. We cannot just make ourselves better like this. They are supernatural manifestations of who God is in somebody's life. Fruit of the Spirit. Not fruit of your own goodness. Fruit of the Spirit. And when the Spirit of God is in your life, these things will manifest themselves in terms of greater manifestation. The longer you stay in God right, the more of this will be seen. Now, patience is one of those things that everybody generally is asking more of. I don't hear many people saying, I want more joy. Though we talked about your need for that. I don't hear many people saying, I need more peace, though we talked about the need for that. I do hear people saying, I need some more love, because that person, that dude over there, he's unlovable, but God called me to love him. I can't figure out how to do it. But everybody says, I need more patience. I need more patience. And generally, we've applied the idea of patience to the idea of Hoping that we can get through something that we wish to end quicker than it's ending. Or hoping we can endure long enough to see the fulfillment of what we think is taking too long to happen. One of those two. That's how we've seen patience to be. But the Bible doesn't describe patience in either one of those contexts. Now, those are things that we need to develop in our life so that we can live in such a way that whatever we want to see happen that's not happening, we can wait in patience, if that's the way we, we define it, although I'm going to define it a little bit different later. We can wait in patience to see it happen, or the thing under which we find ourselves, the circumstance that is too difficult, that we can endure it until it's over. But the Bible describes patience very differently, and we use the idea of endurance, steadfastness, and patience as synonyms. And there's nothing wrong with that because we need all three. But we need to understand what the fruit of the Spirit is as opposed to what we need to develop in our lives to overcome in this world, both of which we need desperately. Now, the word for 
for steadfastness here because Paul does a good job in, in Colossians at identifying the difference between the two. That when we get these things in terms of recipe and order, then it will allow us to attain for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. And steadfastness is the stuff about which I just spoke. The Greek word is hypomene, and I butchered it in the first service. I don't live in Greek. I studied it, but I don't live in it. So I'm not good at it when I, when I talk about it, but I know what it means. Hypomene. And, and it's a combination of two Greek words. The first one is under. Hypo means under. The second is remaining. Uh, uh, mone. And so we find ourselves in circumstances where we are under stuff that won't go away. And that's tough. We want to make it go away. Circumstances, please, leave. But they won't. So we have to develop the endurance and steadfastness in order to abide in such a way that we're not losing our minds when the circumstances are adverse. That's steadfastness. When nothing seems to be going right, and yet you have to be under the circumstance, yet find God in the middle of it, and develop the character so that you don't just explode, that is steadfastness and endurance. That idea is incorporated in our Christian character, but it is not a part of the fruit of the Spirit specifically, though it is something we need to adopt and, and maintain in our own lives. Why is it not a part of the fruit of the Spirit? Because the fruit of the Spirit is that which abides with God. It's the manifestation of His character. And there is nothing under which God rests. There's not a circumstance that He has to endure that requires Him to buck up. He is God Almighty. There's nothing that he is subjected to. And so he doesn't have to be steadfast. Therefore, it's not a fruit of the Spirit. But because we live here, we need to be steadfast. Because Adam subjected us to the entire world. And the entire world is against us. And we constantly have to swim upstream just to be straight. Just to get to the starting line, we got to swim upstream. To make progress, we got to work even harder. And then there are obstacles all along the way. We need steadfastness to not quit, to not stop, to continue to move forward. God doesn't. But he does exhibit patience. And patience is a different word in the Greek. It's the word macrothumia. Again, two words together. Macro meaning long or distant, far. And thumia meaning fierce, hot almost angry. So what it means is God has a very long fuse. That's patience. All of us have blown it, and we are deserving of punishment And that we don't receive it every day. Evidence is the patience of Almighty God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 9, it says, God doesn't want anybody to perish, nobody, but he wants all to come to the knowledge of the truth, and he exercises his patience in waiting for them to come. Patience is that which says, I'm not going to blow up, though I should. I am not going to verbally slap them, though they just did me. I am not going to go off. Ooh, my 14-year-old. Ooh, ooh, ooh. See, you act different in your house than you do in your employment because nobody in your house can fire you. 
And so you don't exercise near as much patience, long fusedness. I made that word up, and I'm proud of it, by the way. Long fusedness. You don't exercise that because he's your people. You feed them. You clothe them. Yeah, you don't have to exercise a whole lot of character. They just need to obey. And when they don't, when your 14-year-old understands you to be the stupidest person on the planet, you know nothing. You don't understand their life. They're better than you at technology. All that. And then they manifest it. When you say something they don't like, it's one of these <laughs> sucking their teeth. You just want. <laughs> there are no words that can fix what I want to do. They can't replace what I want to do right now. Are you kidding? Did you just, did you roll your eyes? Did you roll your eyes? <laughs> and again, because you can't get fired, you say stuff you probably ought not say. You manifest your lack of faith that God can fix that which you can't by responding in a way that might be caring but not biblical. You want to stop them from being disrespectful. You want to stop them from doing something that's wrong. And you want to bring the force necessary that they really feel your indignation. You put the brakes on, they should feel a jerk. That's what you want them to feel. So they stop doing what they're doing. But generally, it never invokes the right response. And I've been there. All of us who have parented people, you've been there. You've wanted to say things. You've done things you need to come back and repent for. I've never abused my children, ever. But I have had to come back and say, I'm sorry, I lost it. I said that, I shouldn't have meant, I didn't mean that, I shouldn't have said it, please forgive me. I always want to be a good representation of God in being long-fused. And so many times, the, and, and, and Cynthia, my, my wife is so good at this, she never, ever, ever gets like that. She never flies off the handle, she never has a, an emotional outburst. I live with emotional outbursts. That, that, that's how I live. I don't know any other way to be. And I, unfortunately, I've quelled them, but how I preach is how I live. It's, I'm just talking to you about my life whenever I'm talking to you. This is Brett. And I've, I've toned down what I do in my house because I need to be a father, not a preacher. And so it's important for me to, to re represent God well. But there have been times when I've stepped over the line verbally or emotionally, and I've had to come back. Cynthia is not that way. She just has a very long fuse that never hits a bomb. There's never an explosion. But there is a 45-minute conversation. <laughs> so you have to talk to my kids. Which one do you want? You want dad? It's about five minutes. You want mom? It's about an hour. Which one? Which one do you want? <laughs> True, dear? True? And, and, and she's proud of her conversation. <laughs> she's not trying to change it at all. And the children are just, uh, I got it, Mom, I got it, Mom, I got it. No, 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 you don't have what I want to give you yet. I know you got what you want, but you don't have what I want to give you. <laughs> Macrothumia. God has a long fuse. Do you? How long is your fuse? And the beauty is this. He's the one who gets to set how long it is, not you. 
There ought to be something of God like this in your life. Now, when we get to a point where we realize we don't have enough patience, we usually cry out for it. Too late. There's never a bad time to cry out for it, but you're too late because there is a process through which you must go in order to obtain it. And so we recognize we don't have it when we need it, but we should recognize what did I do not to get it when I did need it? How did I wind up here in lack? There should never be a point at which I come to need where there's not something of God to supply. How did I wind up here, at least in terms of character? Because sometimes God doesn't supply, we come to a point, and we need a miracle, and we cry out to him for it. But, but patience is not a miracle. It's a provisionary aspect of God that needs to be wrought through good character and training. It doesn't come just as a download. And so Paul talks about this here, even though he doesn't talk about it in Galatians. He just identifies it. It's obvious that the Galatians knew what he was talking about. The Colossians may not have. And so he said, this is what I am prescribing as your remedy to make sure that you get to the idea of what steadfastness and patience look like in your life. And he says, first of all, you need to have, you need to have a feeling in your life. There's a lack. There's a void. And you need to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God wants us to not just be filled with his spirit, but be filled with his information this is why you need to read your Bible every day because that's where we get our information. There's not a thing through which you've gone that somebody in the Scriptures hasn't. Somebody has been through something like what you're going through. Now, they may, there may be nothing in there about the specifics. You need to buy a house. You need to know what God's saying. You need to marry this person. You don't know what God's saying. You can't find that in the Bible, but you can find the principles by which to make good decisions. And so he says, if you get the information that is necessary and you understand how other people make great decisions, then you can make good decisions if you get the information. But if you don't have the information, it's hard to make wise choices. And so he wants you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. But you're going to have to discipline yourself. That doesn't come through just a download from heaven. That comes from sitting down and reading your Bible every day. And reading through the stuff you don't even understand. Reading through the stuff that you don't even want to read through. Pastor, when I get to Numbers, can I start in chapter 7? Please, when I get to 1 Chronicles, can I start in chapter 9? It's just a bunch of begats. It's just people that had babies. Is that important to me? Yes, it is important to you. Read it. It is God's word. Plus, there's a book in heaven that says that it has your name written in it. You want everybody just to skip it over? I'm just asking. No, 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 no. Go back to my name, please. Read my name. Read my name. I'm, I'm, I'm on the list. I'm on, I got a reservation. I'm on the list. Read it all because it all has bearing to your own well-being. And the more you read, the more you understand. The less you read, the less you understand. And if you read things that really don't have any application to your life at the moment, they might later. And this is why it says the Holy Spirit is in our life, Jesus said. He will come and remind you of everything that I've said. Some stuff may not have been applicable at the moment, but then you wind up at a different intersection in life and you say, ah, that's where that fits. And the Holy Spirit re reminds you, there's a reservoir down here and it comes up by his grace. And now you know, I got it, I got it. 
filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So it's not just enough to get knowledge. He wants you to have wisdom that, that, is, that is drawn from the knowledge. Knowledge are facts. Wisdom is the ability to use those facts well to make good decisions. So, somebody uh, feels the need to get a smoke. And so they go to the grocery store and they pick up a pack of cigarettes. Now, on that pack, there is a warning. Smoke these, you will die. That's Brett's paraphrase. The Surgeon General has determined these are dangerous to your health. But what do they do? Light up anyway. So the information didn't help them. But they needed to make a really good decision. So it's not just information that helps you. You need spiritual wisdom to be able to use the information well. And so God wants us to be able to make great decisions based on the information we have. And that's wise. This is what wisdom is defined as, making great decisions on the basis of the information that is afforded to you. The more information you have, the better decisions you can make. And then lastly, understanding. Understanding is this. You got the information, you made a good decision, and then you sit back and you say, ha, I got it. That makes sense. Wow. I didn't start smoking at 20, and now I'm 57, and I don't have emphysema. <laughs> yeah! I understand. <laughs> I, I, I know I'm insulting your intelligence. I get it. It's a very simple analogy. But you have no idea how important it is for you to make these kind of decisions when that pretty woman shows up at your hotel while you're eating dinner at the restaurant and sees you as a handsome bachelor not looking at your left hand, and then begins to compliment you when you aren't getting those compliments at home. You have to make a really wise decision or else understanding will flee. Let me say it this way. You don't make a good decision. You'll understand some different stuff. <laughs> if you make a good decision, you'll understand some beautiful stuff about what faithfulness feels like, how it fortifies your marriage how your kids still love you, how your wife still loves you. That though those things back there afforded you the privilege of doing something that may have been pleasurable for a minute, you now don't have to deal with the consequences for the rest of your life. You don't have to deal with the guilt. You don't have to deal with the lies. Boy, understanding comes to you. And you wake up every day with a clean conscience. You want that understanding of what it means to preserve your family. Now, if you blew it, there's help for you. God wants to do something really special and heal. And so there's never a time when you're counted out. But understanding is that which allows us to know that makes so much sense. I'm glad I did that. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding. And these three things allow us the privilege of knowing what forward progress can feel like. Because when you get those three things, then it says you can begin to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. You can walk differently. You, 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 your life seems as if it was ordained in a different way, not just by your own doing, but by the master. The path you take, even if you encounter difficulty, seems as if that difficulty catapulted you rather than inhibited you. 
You walk different. You're no longer concerned about the circumstances like everybody else is. Fretting and worrying is not a part of your life. Now you are trusting that Almighty God has got your future. He has your past. He's got your present. And anything that comes your way, you can handle it with Him. Therefore, you don't need to be overly concerned. You cast your care upon Him, do the right thing every day, and it works out better than anybody thought it could, especially you. You walk differently. You're trusting differently. 1 John 2, verse 6 says, He who believes in Jesus must walk just as he did. Wow. John doesn't pull any punches. We're called to be people who walk just like Jesus. That's a high order. And I'm not there yet, but I'm closer than I was last year. My gate looks more like him than it does me. I was a senior in high school, and we had played football. Not well. Not well. I wasn't any good. I, I've learned from the athletes about whom I, I fellowship and, and help that I wasn't one. <laughs> I thought I was one. I did. But the only reason I thought I was one, because I hung around with all the people who really weren't one. <laughs> and I looked better than them. But I, I, wasn't, I wasn't one. But I played. And I got my way paid through college. Yeah. I fooled a lot of people. Senior day in high school, I'm on the sidelines. They have this moment where the fathers get to come out, and the sons are on the sidelines, and they greet their fathers at midfield. It's pretty cool. So the fathers begin to come out alphabetically, and we're all standing there as seniors. And, and the first father comes out at the 30-yard line. Uh, they announce his name. Once his name is announced, the other father's supposed to start coming out. And at the 30-yard line, they announce his name. The son is supposed to meet his, his father at midfield. And so they walk together, meet, hug one another, come to the sideline. When they got to my dad, of course, he walked out. And before they announced his name, a guy who was standing next to me said, that's your dad, isn't it? I said, yeah, how'd you know? He said, you walk just like him. <laughs> is there anything about your walk that identifies who your father is? Can anybody tell by the way you walk who your God is? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's important that we walk a certain way. Secondly, to please him in all respects. See, if you, if you get the right information, you make great decisions, and then you have great understanding that this is the best way to go, then you will walk in a manner worthy, and you will please him in all, everybody say all, all respects. Please him in every way, in how you think, in restraining your heart from going, going left when it needs to go right, in the words of your mouth. That you don't say things that you have to pull back. You know those things that, that you say, I didn't mean to say when somebody heard them? And, and reality is you meant to say it. You just didn't, you didn't want them to hear it. You, you meant it. But you wish you hadn't said it because now they heard it. And now it's caused greater problems. What was on the inside that caused you to say it? That's the issue. It's not just restraining the mouth, it's restraining the heart. How'd you get there? What didn't you do beforehand of dealing with this on the inside that made you say what you said? This is, this is, this is what pleasing God means, that in every aspect of our life, we're trying to make him happy. We're not just trying to get by. Every day when you lay your head on the pillow, 
There ought to be the sense that the, that the completion of your, your 24, Lord, going to make you happy today? Did I bring a smile to your face today? Did I do what I was supposed to do? Because that's my, my goal. You know, most Christians are trying to make sure when they get to heaven they hear that, well done, good and faithful servant, coming to the joy of your master. Because those are things that Jesus said in some parables that he coined. Well, I'm not just trying to wait to get to heaven to, to hear that. I'm, I'm, I want it every day. I want to find out what is your opinion of my life today? Pleasing him in all respects. Thirdly, bearing fruit in every good work. Whatever you do, there ought to be something that evidences kingdom progress. That there ought to be some productivity from your life. Leading people to Jesus. Understanding what it means to have the privilege of seeing someone come to the knowledge of the truth and understand why in the world God put them on the planet. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. Bearing fruit in your family that when somebody walks in your home, they're able to tell the presence of God is there by the evidence that's seen in your children, how you love your spouse. Fruit in your life at work, that if we were to go around and survey all the people who are your co co-workers, they'd say, I'm the finest Christian ever met right there. Him, her, best. Never, they handle things differently. Fruit. As a result of getting the knowledge, making good decisions, and great understanding, you walk in a manner worthy, you please God every day, and you bear fruit. And the last thing Paul says is that you increase in the knowledge of God. When I, when I played football, um, and as I hang around the environment today, most of the educational information happens in a classroom, not so much on the field. They spend about an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and a half, three days a week on the field. Then there's a walkthrough on another day. Another day is a day off. And then they fly someplace to practice. And so there, there's, there's not a whole lot of field. It's not like they're out there eight hours a day doing this thing because they're learning. They're getting the information. They're learning how to make great decisions. And they're understanding some things. But then they begin to go out and do it. And once they do it, the bearing fruit, walking in a manner that's pleasing the organization, and beginning to, to, to figure out how to do things best, all of a sudden, the knowledge grows on the inside of them. Oh, this is why we diagrammed it this way on the whiteboard, because this is how this play works. If he does this and I go off his screen, I can get wide open and the quarterback can hit me, and he goes down there and blocks that guy because he's in position to get him, and I can score. I got it now because it worked. And they have greater understanding, greater knowledge, so they can make greater decisions. And there is a beautiful cycle out of which you never want to get, that you get knowledge. You make great decisions. You have understanding. You're able to bear fruit for God, walk in a manner worthy, and you please him every day, and it works out to where now you understand him better, you have greater knowledge, and you go back through the process again. Something develops on the inside of you whereby solidification of God's character is unmovable. It can't be taken out. It's like it's founded with great moorings down in your life because you know him not just by head knowledge, but by experience now. He actually came through here. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. Wow, I know him better now. And then you go through it again, and you keep going through, and you keep going through. Well, that process allows you the privilege of attaining some things. You don't even know they're there. They just show up when it's needed. 
steadfastness and patience. That if you increase in the knowledge of God, if you make sure you please him, if you make sure you're walking in a manner worthy, if you're bearing fruit for God, if you're starting with the process of knowledge and wisdom and understanding, then you get to the place where you can attain steadfastness and patience. They just fall. They drop down into your soul, whereby all of a sudden giving up is not an option. You are fortified to continue, and you developed a long fuse because your trust in God has grown. And you realize this, the Lord knew I was going to be in this situation long before that woman said what she just said to me. Now, I know what I need to say to her, but I'm not going to say it because I know my God will back me up if I love her instead of responding with evil for evil. So I'm going to figure out how in the world to bless this woman who is cursing me. Why? Because you've gone through the process. It's no longer head knowledge. You know your God better. Are you listening to me? And, and you don't even, it's not like you had to say, Lord, help me adore. You've been through it enough whereby you say, I can endure this. This is not beyond me. I can work through this. And when somebody really gets on your last nerve and beyond, and you feel like they need to feel the wrath of your life. <laughs> let, let, let me say, I mean, you, you pretty much know relationally that that is, is impermissible. But you do it anyway relationally. It, 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 we, we need to be better. But there are places where you are not known, like with a representative from your your, your health insurance company <laughs> who has yet to pay your claim. <laughs> you feel in their tension rise. <laughs> and you have been transferred now to the fourth representative on the phone. And you've been there for 45 minutes and nobody's responding to your emails. And you've had it. And this poor employee they're just now dealing with you for the first time, but this is, their, this is your fourth employee, and nobody's helped you. I want you to know I've been on this phone for 45 minutes, and I can't take it anymore. I need you to do something. Give me a supervisor. Give me a supervisor. <laughs> they don't know you, so you can be however you want to be to them but you are still accountable to Almighty God. And you would be surprised how much of a minister you can be to the stranger. Instead of blowing up on them with your not long-fusedness, you get on there and say, listen, you're the fourth employee I've had, and nobody's been able to figure this out, and I know you're, you're probably really good at your job, but I just want you to feel where I am right now. I'm trying to figure out how to get this thing paid for, and it may not be eligible, but nobody's been able to tell me it's not. And so I'm pressing it a little bit. And it'd be great if you could help me and make sure I don't get transferred to anybody else. <laughs> you respond to somebody like that? Long-fused you? All of a sudden, they want to know, who, who are you? What's your name? <laughs> nobody, 
Nobody. And you can begin to pray. How can I pray? Is there anything I can pray for you before we get off this phone? But see, you can't say that after you just yelled at him. Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Long fusedness. Because you know your God knows you need that claim paid. And he got you to this employee so you can minister to him. You know differently. You know differently. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. And we need to be the people who are not weak, but meek. Meekness is a term that was coined by the by old English language. And it was first represented by describing a horse that was ready for battle. Horses are not predators. They're prey. And they don't run to conflict. They run away. So how do you get a horse when there is cannon fodder flying by its ear, men screaming, clanging of metal? How do you get a horse to run to the danger? You train him in such a way that he becomes meek, meaning this, all that strength and power is under the control of the rider. There's nothing about us that is ever to be weak. But there is a lot about us that is to be so self-restrained that we run to people's problems even if we have to deny our own because we are steadfast and long-fused. And sometimes it might be that they have lit our fuse. So what? It's so long it will never explode on them. Patience. People need to understand what Christianity looks like even when the environment is not conducive for it to naturally grow. Be different. Don't be normal. Be supernatural because the fruit of the Spirit is that which, which emits from the Spirit of God. It is a supernatural thing. And if you put this prescription into play, patience will come to you when you need it, which is before you get to the environment where it's needed. It'll just happen. And you won't have to cry out for it anymore.